So we're coming to the end of a series, uh, The Good and Beautiful Life. It's, uh, it's the whole picture of the Sermon of the Mount. And when Jesus, uh, for a while, he's been ministering just in the lead up to this whole sermon. Um, he'd been preaching about the kingdom of God. And he said these words uh, that are recorded in Matthew 4. Repent, meaning to turn around, change your mind. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. He calls a smaller group of disciples, disciple just meaning learners, people that are coming to walk alongside you. It says, come follow me. He didn't give them the full picture of what they were quite getting themselves into. Well, they didn't have the full picture of it. He said, I'll come make you fishers of men. But he said, just come follow me. Walk the journey with me. Learn from me. And as he uh, took the disciples on, he walked around a whole big area. Um, he was teaching in synagogues. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. And large crowds started to follow him. They were amazed by what he was doing, the things that he was saying. And we have in the Sermon of the Mount a real collection of his, of his teachings. Um, and the the sermon actually begins, and we've talked about this in previous weeks, the invitation to be a part of this kingdom is very wide. It is very wide. This invitation that he says, you know, if, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, there's no restriction based upon who you are that you could come be a part of this. It doesn't rely on specific human skills or abilities or even your level of faith. It's an invitation to a good and beautiful life that he wants to set before people. And there's more to say about that. But that invitation to the kingdom is not about people just having it sorted. You know, you've got to get your stuff together before you can enter this kingdom. It's spread to those who really need it. The widening of the invitation actually uh, is there that everyone could feel like it's accessible. But how is it accessible? Because Jesus goes on to say, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who are seen as like the religious elite, they were the ones that were kind of doing the right things, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of those guys, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's widening this invitation and yet saying, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to be able to do this. <laughs> you're not going to be able to live to that level of kind of doing everything right. So as we come to the end of the sermon, we've been taking this whole journey of what a good and beautiful life looks like that Jesus is setting before people. We have uh, these four set of contrasts or couplets about the kingdom. And they're building towards a conclusion. We're gonna, if you wanted to follow along in that, it's chapter, um, Matthew chapter 7 from verse 13. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13. And these are some of the, the first words that we see here. Enter through the narrow gate. I said the invitation is wide, and then all of a sudden we hear this. Enter through the narrow gate, 
For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So there's two options set before us. The gate and road that is narrow. And this relates to all the other teachings that Jesus has spoken about um, in in his sermon. Or option two. Wide is the gate and the road that leads to destruction. There's that option. It's basically saying there are so many ways to basically ruin your life for it to fall apart, to be in a place where it's getting uh, destroyed. Jesus' encouragement. Enter through the narrow gate. The invitation is wide. Everyone, please be a part of this. But the way to access the kingdom is narrow. Why is it narrow? Because it's narrow because it's based upon what God wants to see happen in this world. There are many other options that are opposed to what God wants to happen in this world. And so in comparison, it seems like many and wide are those paths. But narrow is Jesus' way. Now we weigh up the cost of going the narrow way or the wide way. Sometimes we think, oh, do I want to kind of limit myself to this narrow way? Dallas Willard, he talks about the cost when we're trying to work this out. The cost of actually following the wide path, the wide road, entering the wide gate. He talks about in the terms of not being a disciple of Jesus. He says, non-discipleship to Jesus costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love. You won't be able to access that faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good. Hopelessness that stands firm in the most discouraging circumstances. Power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring in John 10.10. The cross-shaped yoke of Christ is, after all, an instrument of liberation and power to those who live with him in it. So I guess for us, we need to consider not just what are the costs of following the narrow path, but at what it costs us to choose the wide path, the wide gate. Now, if you've felt at times when you're kind of spinning your wheels in life, or even if it's spiraling down, if some of you have been uh, unwell recently, um, you may have been feeling uh, not just sick in your body, but you're like, oh, I'm really kind of weighed down by this. Uh, I'm not feeling great. And we can throw ourselves into kind of self-medicating, helping us feel better. We want the illness to go away. We want sickness to go away. Now, this can happen with trauma in our lives. It can happen with disappointment. I was talking to someone earlier this week, and we were talking about the show uh, Hoarders. And how, if you, anyone watch that? kind of show, which is basically people live in a house where there's so much stuff everywhere, they feel 
like overwhelmed. Um, they can't move beyond that. And it's usually to do with some trauma that's happened way back in their life. And overcoming that has just not been able to happen. There is a cost when we aren't looking to this narrow path that Jesus wants to take us on. When he wants to actually revive our life. He wants to say, this is the good and beautiful road to walk on. This is where life really is achieved. Because that's what those words say. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The second kind of couplet that we have is these words, watch out for false prophets. They came to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He's a sneaky one, that one. Um, there's the scripture. Yeah, what's this imagery about? You know, the couplet is between false and true prophets, and we'll speak more about um, the verses surrounding this. The passage doesn't talk so much about what the false prophets are saying, but the way to test if someone is being a false prophet or not. What is prophecy? Well, in its most basic sense, it's a message from God. It's not necessarily a view of the future, and sometimes we think about prophecy in that kind of way. And in Scripture, there is prophecy where there's a sense of God's given someone a vision of what the future might look like. But a larger percentage of the prophecy in Scripture is about a message that is being repeated from the past or is just bringing forward people's understanding of what's going on in the present. But it's a sense of authority that comes from God in those words. You know, a wolf in sheep's clothing, what would that look like? If someone was speaking... Um, you know, words, saying they were speaking words of God or, you know, they could be the best communicator ever, this person. They could sound really convincing or they could just really sound passionate. You know how we're, we are drawn to people, they're just passionate, I love their passion. They might have lots of opinions. Yeah, they must know what they're talking about because they've got so many opinions. But what is their life? Does their life exemplify something completely different? Do their words match up? Is their inner character the same as their outward appearance? See, false prophets, and probably our experience of false prophets, is rarely about heresy spoken, but heresy lived, meaning it's not matching up between what they say and what they do. John Chrysostom, who's an early church uh, father, says this, false prophets are not heretics, but them that are of a corrupt life, yet wear a mask of virtue. We should not look to the mask, but to behavioral fruits of those who patiently pursue the narrow way. You know, the whole of the Sermon of the Mount kind of amplifies this message about saying one thing and doing another. This, and it comes quite uh, convicting to us because as Jesus says things like, um, well, you might not have killed someone, but have you got 
anger in your heart towards some of them because they're kind of equivalent. Just because you look like you're not going around killing people doesn't make you that you're following the narrow way. You might not be doing active adultery, but lust is in your heart. You're giving. Are you being seen to do uh, good rather than actually having true devotion to God? You know, the imagery that goes on this, in this couplet is also about fruit. Fruit will show you what a tree is like. So we read that scripture. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Did I read that right? Yep. <laughs> every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And we need to be able to test the reality of the outcomes of a person's life. They might be able to speak very well. They might be able to convince you of a way, but does it play out over time in their life? Is it sincere? Is it authentic? Before we go around uh, throwing people under the bus as false prophets, uh, we might want to first think about for ourselves, how are we in relation to this? You know, we have someone that carries many opinions and is quite happy to share them around, and yet we do another thing. We do the opposite. We always intended to, but do we actually do it? Do we match up to what we have to say? You know, false prophets is not just sitting onto the side for YouTube conspiracies and people that want to sort of throw stones at other Christian leaders and that kind of thing. It's something for us to be thinking about. Are we falsely sharing messages in the sense of this is the power under God and yet we are living not that way? You know, it's close to the bone when we think of it that way. So far, a narrow and wide path. Choose the path of life as Jesus' encouragement. True and false prophets? Well, let's apply the authenticity test. The third kind of couplet is about true and false disciples. These words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Once again, there's this authenticity test is being applied, isn't it? But this time, it's not in relationship to one another, but in relationship to our Father in heaven. What do you say on the surface? Lord, Lord, or the equivalent is Master, Master, must be followed by action doing the will of the Father. Whether it's prophecy, driving out demons, performing many miracles, all in Jesus' name, the response is, I never knew you. 
Now, those things can be done in Jesus' name and they would receive a different response. But in this account, there's a sense that actually relationship between the person and Jesus is not established. Now, we look at this list of prophecy, drive out demons, perform many miracles. These are examples that would feel, yeah, they're real Christians, people doing these things. But it seems to be a way to do them without relationship to him. And Jesus prioritizes relationship. Now, as I was preparing this, I was thinking uh, of this story that came to mind about Simon in Acts chapter 8. There's this story of Simon, he's called Simon the Sorcerer. I'll just read a bit of it to you. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave them their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. So he's recognized as someone working for God, who's doing stuff for God, and yet he's not doing anything under the power of the God that we seek to follow, and he's not doing it under the power of the Spirit. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed, uh, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. So there's a, there's a change in his life. He was kind of working all this power. It was, uh, I think, the power of the enemy rather than the power of God, even though people were saying, you know, God's behind this. But he realizes there's something unique about this person of Jesus and he needed to be baptized. goes on, And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So even a guy who's kind of doing all this stuff in the background before, he's like, wow, Philip and you guys, you do much more marvelous things than I have. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had been simply baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Simon's watching all this and it says, When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. You can see in this picture something of what Jesus is talking about when this kind of sense of, you know, kind of skills of power versus the relationship. You know, Simon, he was still in the mode of kind of trying to exercise power and the things around him. He wanted to be a part of that kind of um, spiritual life. And yet he is being discipled by the apostles to say there's, there's more to it than just you know, zapping people around you. 
and getting greater skills. Doing the will of the Father in the power of the Spirit for the right reasons is what's, what matters here. So what's the action here for us? In all the things, as we go after uh, living a life of discipleship to Jesus, we need to be continually asking that question, what is my heavenly Father's will? And you might like to actually speak that out in your prayers. I know sometimes I think, yeah, that would be a good thing to do, to invite my heavenly Father to show me what to do. Just the slight adjustment to say, Heavenly Father, what is your will? <laughs> Just to pray that can make a big difference in your posture because you are, you are leaning into it. It's not just a theory, that's something I will do one day. But in this moment, maybe even now, that might be something you want to speak to God. What is your will, my Father in heaven? And then wait. Listen, watch, see what scriptures he brings to mind, a person's name that you need to relate to, a next step, uh, an act of forgiveness, an apology you need to seek. Jesus said these words when he was talking about how he was going about doing life. He said about his father, I have not come down from heaven to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was day by day looking for his father's will. You know, that's what real relationship with God looks like. It's that intimacy is growing day by day, hour by hour, we are asking, who's the will of the father? And then we can be assured he will not say these words, I never knew you. The last couplet, and this finishes off uh, the whole Sermon of the Mount. We've got a house built on a rock. So you probably know what this scripture is if you've read the Bible a bit. Therefore, and we always ask the question, what is the therefore? Therefore, so to do with all that's been up till now, all the things that Jesus has said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Everyone who hears these words of mine, that Jesus has been speaking, all about learning to live without anger and lust and lying and cursing and, and greed and pride and judging and worry, all of those things that he's already spoken about. If, they, if we hear his words, put them into practice, we are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know, if any of you have built a house, some of you actually got a business doing that, um, but uh, building doesn't 
just happen in a moment, does it? It isn't like one day I've got it on the plans, the next day the house is there. But the intention is to build the house. And the intention here is to build the house on Jesus' words, to practice what he is saying, to exercise our kind of uh, following muscles. So they don't just, you know, if you don't use your muscles, they, and if you've probably experienced if you've been sick in the last little while, you get weak after a while. If you've just been sitting in bed for a while, the muscles sort of just diminish away a little bit. We've got to exercise our muscles of putting into practice Jesus' words. At the end of Matthew, it says, Go and make disciples. Jesus' encouragement to his disciples. Go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. That's part of the journey we each take and teaching others to take that journey. That's what we talk about here at GVC. We want to have disciples who are making disciples. And he finishes with the words, and I'll be with you always. He doesn't leave us alone. He wants to help us live into this. So as we finish, Jesus' encouragement not to choose the wrong path, but choose the narrow way to the Jesus way of life. It's not that we're competing to get into that place. It's not like there's not enough space for people to get in. But following that path is the sticking point for us because there's so many other options. He is saying, but this is the best way. We need to be aware that there are people who have chosen a wrong path that might lead us there also. False prophets. Test whether people's words match up with their actions. Be careful not to be one of those wrong path leaders ourselves. Stick to God's will, not our own or other humans. And practice obeying Jesus' instructions in this good and beautiful life. Out of all of this, Jesus offers us a startling alternative and we've got to really answer the question, will we accept his gift? Will we accept his wisdom into our lives? And we can go to extremes where we think that um, what matters most is having faith in Jesus, not necessarily an ongoing relationship with him. It's like, I'm in heaven, I've clinched the deal, I'm good to go. Well, that's kind of one extreme. Another one would be the only way to be a good Christian is to keep all the rules. And all that Jesus has said, he kind of says no to both of those things. We start with Jesus. We stay with Jesus. We have a relationship with him. And he builds within us by his spirit the ability to live this good and beautiful life. A quote from James Ryan Smith, he says, To abide in Jesus means to rest and rely on Jesus, who is not outside of us judging us, but inside of us empowering us. The more deeply we're aware of our identity in Christ and of his presence and power that is within us, the more naturally we will do his will. So I want you to think, just as we pray now and finish, as you maybe even close your eyes, you want to conceptualize building a life on Jesus' words. 
Just imagine, just even this house, brick by brick, sitting on a rock, a solid rock, building it brick by brick, living a life in his kingdom. What does that bring to mind for you? Is that bringing a hopeful picture where you get to live without anger, you live without lust and lying and cursing and uh, greed and pride and judge and worry? You know, all these elements we've spoken on, what does it look like, brick upon brick, to be building upon this foundation? Practicing, putting, putting into place the words of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for how you've spoken to our hearts over these last few months through this scripture. That maybe even there's one key theme that you wanted to land for us in this that you want us to keep um, living into, that we wouldn't just push that away, we wouldn't just push it into the rule category or the, uh, I've got my salvation, it doesn't really matter now. But we want to live into the full relationship with you, Father, Son and Spirit. Thank you for your gift that you've shown us a way that there's many other words that people want to speak at us, but you have given us your word in Scripture that we can cling on to and we can come back to time and time again when we're feeling lost and confused. We can get truth from your word and we thank you for it. Lord, may we be a community that don't just live as individuals in this, but we support one another, that we can cheer each other on to live this good and beautiful life that you set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.